We're joined on the line now by social justice activist and commentator Paddy Gibson. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, Paddy. In troubling circumstances for you personally, and we'll get onto that uh, later on in the interview. But uh, we thought you'd get get you on today uh, as a follow-up to a previous discussion we've we've had with you about the politics of COVID nineteen, the left's response to the anti-vax uh, protests. There's a whole number of sort of interrelated issues uh, going on with with the politics of, of COVID-19. And I wanted to start uh, with the latest phenomenon, obviously, with the Omicron variant, and particularly Australia's very sudden knee-jerk reaction. We saw this reaction from a lot of nations as, as well, where within hours, it seemed, of and the announcement of the Omicron variant by South African uh, health authorities, the Australian government's reaction, surprise, surprise, was to shut the borders closed to visitors from southern Africa. You're one of the few commentators on the left that have pointed out some of the hypocrisies and problems with this border closure policy. So talk to us about that. What was wrong with the, you know Australia's reaction and all the nations in terms of immediately shutting those, those borders to, to people from southern Africa? Sure, yeah. Now, well, look, thanks for the, the invitation to come on again. Um, look, I just think it's really of a piece uh, this reaction with the whole general response to coronavirus that we've seen, you know, from governments around the world and particularly the imperialist uh, governments like Australia, um, you know, where the, the, the whole response from government is, is very often about appearing um, to be sort of taking decisive action and taking tough action, um, you know, to introduce repressive policies that will contain the that will contain the virus. And, you know, this is, you know, supposed to send some sort of message that, you know, they're keeping people safe, you know, from the virus. Um, and it's really been counterposed, you know, consistently to what I think we, we really need um, to actually deal with the ongoing threats, you know, from this pandemic, which is, you know, proper investment in our health system, you know, and proper good public health, you know, education and policy, you know, about how we can, you know, sort of best mitigate uh, the risks of coronavirus and deal with the situation situation if people are in fact infected and do in fact become sick you know so we went through a situation uh you know where you know with every wave of coronavirus that's happened in different australian uh, cities or in the regional areas we get you know there's this enormous focus on icu capacity and suddenly the icu is full and the you know people were not going to be able to access the icu and so we have to lock down to protect the icu you know, uh, the, the, because there's not the capacity actually in the system to deal with to deal with people. Where, whereas, you know, the reality is, you know, with such a highly vaccinated population such as Australia, you know, actually even with COVID circulating in the community, it can be dealt with if we've got a health system that's actually accessible to everyone, that's good quality for everyone, you know, and provides that kind of care. And I think, you know, what we've seen with Omicron is, you know, this exact same knee-jerk reaction where as soon as it, you know, reared its head as some kind of threat, um, we saw was, uh, you know, Anthony Albanese go straight to the media to say Scott Morrison needs to act and needs to close the border. Uh, the government did, in fact, close the border. Um, as you mentioned there, they closed it completely to countries in southern Africa, some of whom didn't even actually have any reported cases of, of Omicron there. So they, you know, completely shut the border to southern Africa, despite the fact that the virus was already um, in many other countries already around the world, um, may have even um, originated in some other countries. This variant, we're not entirely sure where it's even come from. I mean, well, by the time they were closing the border in Australia, there was already Omicron in Australia. And a couple of days later, there was already community transmission of 
Omicron in Australia. Mm, I wanted to uh, discuss that in a little more detail, uh, Paddy, because not only are there, the, the, not only is there the dimension of the, the racist uh, border policing, but also uh, what happened with Omicron. It speaks to the way the mass media works, because really Omicron was grossly misreported very early on, and now we can say we can be charitable and say that that's often the case with uh, the early stages of, of journalism and any kind of reporting. Um, you know, there's inaccuracies, but really the the severity of the symptoms of Omicron was grossly exaggerated by most of the Western media. It now turns out that the symptoms, it seems, uh, I should stress there's still more evidence to be examined, but it seems it's much milder. And as you say, there's evidence that's emerged that Omicron was actually in Europe uh, before it emerged in Southern Africa. And the reason it was reported in Southern Africa is because the advanced uh, epidemiological uh, science that exists in Southern African health institutions, partly as a result of their, their history, their sterling work, uh, working on, on the AIDS virus over a number of years. So there's, there's a, the racist dimension and there's also just uh, the, well, the very poor performance of the media is probably the, the most charitable way we can put it. Yeah, no, I think that's really right. I mean, people grab on, you know, fear, you know, the fear, they play on the fear. And it's, I mean, as you say, I mean, we don't actually really know yet, right? Like what's going to happen with this variant, how severe it is, you know, early, you know, anecdotal stuff we're getting from, you know, I mean, the truth is that, the, you know, the major wave we're seeing of Omicron is actually in South Africa, but the doc, you know, doctors there, reports on the ground, you know, are that this isn't particularly severe, it's been mild for, you know, overwhelming majority of cases or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I think the, 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 the point of it is is that it's completely useless to close the border with a highly transmissible virus in a highly vaccinated population. It's, and, and the other group that they've targeted, not just um, um, people coming from Southern Africa, but actually anyone who is coming on an international student visa or a migrant worker visa has been shut out completely. So people who, you know, from all around the world, even countries that don't have Omicron, um, you know, uh, uh, suddenly, you know, their lives are upended again. I mean, international students have just been treated like absolute shit through this entire mm. pandemic. Finally think they can actually get back to campus in Australia where they've paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for their degree, only to again have the rug pulled out from under them within a couple of hours to say the border's now closed and they can't come for at least two weeks. So, mm. I mean, this kind of treatment is just like... They just bash the xenophobic drum, you know, without any actual health basis or evidence basis to say we're going to punish these people and keep them out just and so you can feel more safe. Oh, yeah. so you will be more safe. We're not doing anything to actually keep you safe, but just to create this illusion of control. You mentioned the high vaccination rate in Australia, and of course that's a good thing, and uh, I'm sure you're in support of the booster vaccination program, but it was very striking as part of the Australian government's response, and again, we've seen similar responses from uh, countries like the United Kingdom, the Johnson government, that rather than actually drawing the lesson of uh, this new variant of the, the COVID-19 virus spreading among largely unvaccinated populations in poorer countries in the global south. Uh, Australia concentrated on, well, actually now is the time for us to roll out the booster vaccination program in Australia, which is fine. We can support that. But it, there is something a little grotesque about it, isn't there, given that there's the COVAX program, which is an initiative by the World Health Organisation, UNICEF and other multilateral organisations to, uh, well, there's a promise of $2 billion vaccine doses under this COVAX program for, for poorer countries. Only a few hundred million of these doses have been administered. And the fact is that the vaccination rate in countries like South Africa uh, remains very, very low. Uh, and, and this is the problem, isn't it, is that low rate of vaccination, the, the, the lack of support from richer countries, uh, for countries like uh, South Africa. And yes, we need boosters, but we also need a huge expansion of the, the rollout of vaccines you know, across the global, the global south. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that, that they, they just, it just characterises the entire response to COVID, this nationalist, punitive response. You live in a world. We live in a world, an interconnected world. It, it, you know, it might make people feel good in the short term. It might deliver better health outcomes for people in Australia in the short term. But it's incredibly short-sighted and doesn't actually deal with the underlying issues that we're facing as a global community with this pandemic. So, you know, they close the borders, but what they really should be doing is massively extending the, you know, cooperation between the health systems, including the disgrace, dropping the disgraceful uh, <clears throat> restrictions on actually using the information that could be used by the developing world to produce vaccine. Um, you know, they, that they should be getting rid of any idea that these massive um, major uh, multinational pharmaceutical companies can keep patents hidden and this sort of thing when this is life-saving medicine, right? So that, that is absolutely what we need is an internationalist response which drops all the barriers that currently exist to the production and distribution of vaccines throughout the global south, you know, and, and we're just going to continue to experience, you know, you know, ongoing problems with the mutation of this virus and other things uh, without that. But, yeah, that doesn't suit um, the actual political interests of the imperialist countries and, and so that's not the policies we get. Now, it has to be said that some elements of the left in terms of their response to the uh, latest uh, aspects of what's happened with the Omicron variant, uh, their, their attitude to some of the anti-vax protests, suffice it to say the response, certainly from my point of view, has been found wanting. Uh, I've noticed certainly across uh, social media, uh, at, you know, certain left institutions and commentators that there's been either an indifference to the border closures or just plain silence, or in some cases actually support for border closures. There's been a muddle-headed attitude to the anti-vax protests. Uh, it's, a, it's a big question, really, in terms of how the left is dealing with this, with this whole situation. But, I mean, what's your take on the left's performance, if you like, uh, in terms of dealing with some of these issues we're discussing well, I mean, we'll get to it later in the interview, but we've got a really real sort of rising confidence in far-right forces in Australia as a result of, you know, the audience that they're getting at these freedom marches, you know, people marching in response to, you know, vaccine mandates, the actual anti-vax movement itself, you know, growing uh, in strength, uh, you know, people opposed to the lockdown, people have been hurt through the lockdown measures, you know, joining these rallies and the far right absolutely making hay, you know, and getting confidence and growing. And that's a very, very worrying development. I think everyone across the left recognises that that's a very, very worrying development. And we do have to come together and find ways to challenge the growth of the far right. That's absolutely the case, you know, but like always, the growth of the far right is actually a response or, or comes out of a failure of social democracy and of the left to actually respond to real crises that are being felt in the working class. And the coronavirus pandemic has been such a crisis. We've seen so many thousands of people lose their jobs, you know, uh, through the lockdown process, through the closure of businesses that have happened. You know, that economic pain that's being experienced is very, very real. And I think it's not good enough to just line up and say, or lockdowns were fantastic and anyone who opposes lockdowns is somehow, you know, some, you know, anti-health nutter. Like, the truth is lockdowns were an incredibly punitive response to a virus that the government refused to deal with with proper investment in the health system and proper investment in vaccination programs and other things that could have kept us safe. And there are a lot of people who were aggrieved out of that for very real reasons. And unless we actually respond to that, 
you know, and provide some momentum, you know, from the left to say we're going to look after people who are who are suffering economically, you know, then it is it is fertile ground for the far right to rise for the far right to rise. The same is true of vaccine mandates. I mean, I am incredibly pro-vaccine. I've already had my booster shot, you know, even though recognising that it's a scandal that we can get boosted and most of the world can't. I got it as soon as I could. I've been advocating very very hard for people, you know, the vaccine to be made available, you know, earlier than it was months ago, you know. But um, we now have incredibly high vaccination rates across Australian society, particularly in the urban centres. And, you know, I just do not think that people should be being sacked as a result of, you know, whatever reason they've got for not getting vaccinated. People have got, you know, bonkers anti-vax views. I wish they didn't have. Very unsavoury and very antisocial. There's other people that are actually really scared of this vaccine Mm. for reasons, you know, like maybe they're from a historically marginalised community such as the Aboriginal community where they have actually had experimental vaccines, you know, used on them in in years gone by. There's, you know, reasons why their family might not trust the vaccine. There's people that are very afraid of needles. There's a whole range of people out there who aren't getting vaxxed for various reasons, including people who might have an exemption from their own GP that's actually not recognised by their employer, you know. So a lot of people out there are also losing their jobs as a result of vaccine mandates that I think in such a highly vaccinated population are actually... It's a bit of a myth that it's by excluding the unvaccinated from workplaces that we're going to be able to be safe in this situation. Yeah. You know, it, it provides a scapegoat, I think. I've already highlighted about the ongoing failings from the government. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that there are still sustained and large anti-vax protests just on Saturday. There was another rally of some 10,000 people. I mean, that the scale of these rallies is, is really very striking. And, and I have to say, it, uh, it outdoes anything the left's been able to manage in this country for quite uh, some number of years and of course it's a nuanced situation it's a complex situation I'm glad the way you've articulated that but at the top of this uh, uh, movement are some very very foul and odious uh, uh, movements you know there's the Australia First Party there's the United Australia Party there's out and out neo-Nazis we saw what seemingly was a deliberate attack on a, a, a COVID-19 testing clinic in Melbourne the other day where a health worker was was, was run down. Uh, I mean, there's been some really horrible stuff going on. Um, you know, the, there was the, 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 the gallows um, effigy of, of Daniel Andrews at the rally. Tensions are rising and, and there's potential for real violence. And this is where your own personal story comes in, uh, Patty. You're a long-term anti-racist activist, social justice activist, um, and your your home was well besieged. I guess is a word we could use on Saturday night uh, by neo Nazis. Whether they're connected with the anti-vax protests, I mean, who knows? But it's a kind of a reflection of the rising tensions of what's what's happening in the community at the moment. And and you've been been a victim of that personally, Patty. It sounds horrible what happened. I saw your social media post. Um, tell us about what happened to you personally and, and I guess your take on what what that what this signifies in terms of the broader the broader political context. Sure, yeah, look it was it was pretty terrifying. There's three Nazis came here on Saturday night to my house, to our family home. Luckily the kids weren't home. I've got young kids who live here but they were out at mum and dad's which was good. My partner was here with me. Um, yeah, and they, three Nazis come to the door, demanded I come outside. I looked through the window and saw who they were. Um, 
I mean, I don't know them personally, but they were obviously Nazis, you know, short cropped hair, nationalist insignia, big beefy guys calling for me to come out. So we didn't come out. And so they started bashing on the door and then they smashed in our window. They ripped off the security grill that's on the window, put a chair, you know, through the, through the glass. We thought they were actually coming into the house to hurt us, you know. So police didn't respond. We called the cops. They didn't come. It was only a local community, you know, sort of mobilisation that meant that we were safe to come out of our house. You know, so a really, really awful situation over the weekend that I think is just, yeah, it is a reminder of the fact that, you know, the confidence that's growing amongst the far right is very real and very dangerous. And it means that activists will be targeted. I've heard terrible stories about trans people getting, you know, increasing violence against them, Koori people getting increasing violence against them. I mean, it's these marginalised groups that are most at risk from, you know, the rise of the Nazis. And, you know, there's, I, I just think is absolutely no doubt in my mind that we have, you know, a, a situation where the coronavirus response from governments, I think we have to be absolutely clear, was disgraceful, right? Like the idea that thousands and thousands, millions of people would just be locked down in their house with hardly any income at all, you know, going hungry, you know, people losing work, you know, huge police powers. We had this insane police military regime here in Western Sydney I've described to your program before like that is not okay that is not actually about public health that's not actually about educating people about how to stay safe or supporting people to stay home and isolate and the kind of policy that would you know that the left should have stood for and I think it's a crying shame that there hasn't been a strong voice from the left to say the government's coronavirus response was absolutely disgraceful in how punitive it was in how much social pain it's actually caused because unless we take that as a starting point we actually can't relate to you know and build support for proper you know policy proper public health policy that's about supporting working people supporting people who are on welfare support payments supporting marginalized people into the future that's where the left has to be but we're not there and at the moment you've got these crazy freedom rallies growing and growing and the Nazis with the wind in their sails as a result of it. So I think that it is a very, very dangerous situation. And I think a starting point for opposing it has to actually be from the left saying it is, un it is, it is not acceptable for governments to rely on punishment and police powers rather than proper public health investment, public investment, income in people's hands, you know, encouraging the vaccine, you know, um, empowering communities that might be hesitant to actually deal with, you know, the, 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 the views of, of some in their community to get people properly vaccinated they're going to turn to mandates that sack people instead like that kind of policy is provides a reading ground for the far right so you know we have to do two things together we have to say their coronavirus response is disgraceful we want one that's actually about supporting working people and we're going to challenge the nazis whenever they show their faces now despite the left's differences i'm sure that uh all our listeners and uh, you know anyone who's heard about uh, the attack on you and your your family uh, will be obviously 100% in, in full solidarity uh, with you, Patty. And it just uh, highlights yet again, if we needed it to be highlighted, um, that you know those fascists that are a part of this anti-vax movement are, are there to be smashed. They're not to be shown any mercy. Are there to be opposed in in any uh, way means you know necessary? Uh, and I'm sure that's something we can all agree on and, and it also just highlights the seriousness of this situation uh, the situ the seriousness of the situation we're dealing with so so all power and all solidarity to, to you and your family patty and i hope you stay safe thank you very much thanks for the chat this morning